Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Budapest, May 1954. Six months after a humiliating 6-3 defeat in a friendly with Olympic champions Hungary, England travelled to the Hungarians convinced the humbling dub the match of the century was a one-off travesty. Hungary by then unbeaten in 26 matches and sporting a new lighter strip with a v-neck design that made England positively look like Victorians in their starched buttoned-up shirts and baggy shorts, took the game's inventors apart 7-1 this time, confirming the Wembley result was no fluke and cementing their status as hot favourites for that summer's World Cup in Switzerland. It could be argued that despite the 66 World Cup triumph, English football never fully absorbed the tactical lessons dished out by the Hungarians. But by 1954, something in English football was about to change. The shorts were about to get shorter. Umbro, emulating the style of the Hungarian kit, designed a new strip for the vanquished England featuring v-necks instead of collars and much shorter cotton shorts, as was the fashion on the continent. Billy Wright and Al Sherwood meet in pouring rain before the start of the England-Wales duel at Wembley. Here are England debut in what came to be known as the new continental kits at home to Wales in November 1954. And that's where I come in. I'm writer-broadcaster Daniel Ruiz-Tyson, and with this show, I'm not for one minute claiming old football was better. It wasn't. The pitches were dreadful, games were often brutal, the stadiums were decrepit, but we all loved the football we grew up with, and I think that half the time, I'd still rather watch an edition of the big match revisited rather than another Super Sunday clash between teams I can watch any night of the week. When shorts were short only concerns itself with what was actually a very narrow window in football history when teams wore, well, short shorts. The podcast will only cover football from 1954 when Umbro made their first England kit with shorter shorts, a design that was widespread within English football by the mid-50s to 1992 when short shorts were all but finished as Umbro's baggy shorts for Tottenham's new kit ahead of the 91 FA Cup final quickly caught on. Now, those of you who followed my other work for the past decade and a bit will know of the place Sabuccio has in my life. I've written about it, I've podcasted about it, and in the show notes for this, I'll stick a link to 2014's Sabuccio episode from my Advent Calendar podcast series for Holdfast. Fast. 
which told of my first discovering Sabuccio over 40 years ago through my older cousin who'd got a set one Christmas. He was older, a big influence on me. The following Christmas I had my own set and over the years my cousin would play against myself and his younger brother, also a bit older than me, in what were very competitive games. Us two against him on the floor. And my appalling back is down to playing thousands of Sabuccio games on the floor, plus 11 years sleeping in a fold-up bed, also covered extensively in other works of mine. The big problem for me with Sabuccio within my household was that my late dad, a football and fitness fanatic, hated Sabuccio because, one, it kept me indoors when he wanted me to be a junior fit version of him, and two, arguably a bigger problem this, he didn't understand why you needed more than two teams. From the moment my mum came back from Frank Johnson's sports shop in Brixton, South London, because if you know your Sabucho history, you'll know that for decades, Peter Adolf's great game was only sold in sports shops rather than toy shops. From the moment my mum returned with my third and fourth Sabucho teams, number 41, Liverpool, heavyweight set, and number 42, Chelsea, the much-derided zombies, although my cousins and I called them the straights, and uh, we didn't like them. From that moment when my collection of teams started to build, my dad and I were set on a collision course that lasted a decade and ended with him. And I don't know how this happened to this day, and it's a huge regret talking me into giving away what by the late 80s was a collection of 200 teams. Sabuccio remains a huge thing in my life, largely through its offshoot Star Wars football, which listeners of my other long-running indie podcast will know is an eight-team league made up of vintage Star Wars action figures, and it's now been running for 38 years. It's still such a big part of my life, Sabuccio, that I will be dipping in and out of the world of table football during this series because... It just continues to fascinate me, so much so that for the last couple of years I've been in talks with a radio producer about a series, a comedy memoir, on Sabutio's part in my life, telling them just what a big Sabutio community there is online now, at the heart of which is this week's guest, Stuart Grant, who you might know better as Sabutio Collector. It was my cousin, the one that introduced me to Sabucho and who less successfully tried to get me into Elvis, I was more of a Bucks Fizz fan incidentally, who made me aware of Stuart's YouTube channel several years ago and ever since then I've been a subscriber and a regular viewer. And here's the thing, with me in regards to Sabucho, while I had a lot of accessories, I was more into the playing and collecting of teams. I was... Never a big one for the stadiums, and I never had a single stand. But over the course of 2020, watching Stuart putting together his new stadium project, which we discuss on the interview, has been fascinating. It's been funny to watch, and I've just found myself marvelling at his dogged determination to complete it. And the SC Municipal Stadium, a hugely ambitious project, has run into the kind of problems that real-life stadium builds always seem to run into, and yet he won't let up. He will finish that stadium. And I just think that the building of this new stadium, not his first, by the way, I think the building of it has taken his channel to a whole nother level. I knew I'd like talking to him, but I hadn't anticipated just how much I'd enjoy our interview. He's compelling. He 
doesn't take himself seriously. He's a busy guy, busy with work, busy with a young family and busy with a massive stadium project on the go. But he was still generous with his time which was really appreciated. He's also a bundle of energy, and throughout our hour-long plus conversation, you might hear what sounds like lip-smacking. It's not. It's Stuart clapping his hands frequently. I've done my best to isolate as many of these claps as I can. It reminded me a bit of Steve McQueen in The Great Escape. He's always playing with a baseball in that film, tossing it and catching it in his baseball glove. Similarly, Stuart is clearly someone that can't sit still for too long. About halfway through, you'll also hear his washing machine, albeit faintly and sporadically. The faint background washing machine noise put me in mind of Brian Moore in the early 80s commentating on World Club Championship finals from Tokyo down a phone line. There'd always be a weird background noise as our teams, Forest, Liverpool and Villa, usually got beaten by the South American Giants. My own contribution to that background noise is the usual police siren. I live in South London. It's naughty round here. I live in a particularly naughty part of this godforsaken chunk of the capital. There is nothing I can do about that. And I'm confident that simply because Stuart is such good company, none of those audio distractions will affect your enjoyment of this interview. Here's Sabucho Collector. Were you as passionate about anything else prior to 2014 in a way that comes close to matching your love of collecting <laughs> Sabutio? Not really like with anything like this, but I did at one point, and I probably still am, massively obsessed with the TV programme Lost to a point where you get a Trekkie and people that are obsessed with Star Wars. I'm probably the Lost equivalent. <laughs> But that's probably the closest I've ever been. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've got quite an obsessive personality. So if I get into anything, I normally go all in. I can't can't just sort of enjoy something from the fringes. I have to go all in. But I've never got involved in something quite like this before, apart from being obsessed with a TV programme. When you talk about Lost, did you get into it as it was on or was it retrospectively as you have with Sabucho? No, that was when it was on. So when it was on, I got into it, watched it when it was on, and then... The programme grew. I've become obsessed with it. They drew me in further because they started doing these like alternate reality games in the real world where during the part where the TV show weren't on, they would do stuff around the world to make it seem like it was real where people would have to go out and find clues and work together and stuff like that. And I kind of ended up trying to get involved in stuff like that online. So I really did get a bit obsessed with it to the point where when it ended, I remember watching the last episode and just sitting there for about half an hour like, oh, now what am I going to do for the rest of my life? <laughs> Had Lost finished by the time you got into Sabucho? Yeah, so Lost finished about three or four years before that. So that's probably why I had a gap in my life of someone else to look up on the internet. It's interesting trying to guess what might have happened if Lost had been running around 2014. Exactly. I wouldn't have been collecting that. You know what it probably was? All right. So there's loads of Lost collectibles and they were so expensive. I never really bought any. And then I was probably sitting on the internet looking around and I probably looked up Sabutio, that planted the seed. Then I had a chat with my flatmate about putting a stadium in the loft and stuff like that, that planted the seed. And then it probably all grew organically in my brain from there. I noticed though, I think since you've been doing your videos, you've been in three houses, haven't you? Am I right? <laughs> two. So on the channel, I've been in two. But since I've been sort of putting stuff up on the internet, Sabutio Collector, yeah, I've had three. We started off in a flat first flat between me and my missus but it was above a church 
which was a massive flat. It was lovely. And because it was a big old flat, we had a huge loft. It was absolutely massive. And I could get up there four pitches when I first started, but I probably could have got another four. It was that big and that spacious and that boarded. But then we moved again, and that's the house where I set up the channel. And then we moved again. The, re- the reason we actually bought this house, well, it's not the reason we bought this house. We wanted to buy somewhere instead of rent it. But one of the reasons we chose this house is because it had a converted garage and I was able to have my own room because she got a bit annoyed that I was having some video displayed in the living room. and She got fed up looking at it. Oh, was that the living room? Because it actually looked like you designed your own store. Every time no. I watched those videos, <laughs> I felt as if I was in a shop. It was brilliant. With the two, with the two glass cabinets. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was our dining room. So what I, what I used to do, you had the living room over there. I'd wait for everyone to go to bed and then I'd draw the curtains, put my tripod on the table. And that was literally a wall just in our dining room. She hated looking at it because I'd have, I'd have the display cabinets there. Underneath, I'd have my rack of vinyl. And yeah, she wasn't too pleased with it. Actually, uh, the vinyl, I did notice that when you were building, I think, one of your first stadiums. And that was a, a very impressive collection of vinyl. I've got so much there. I've been through a lot of vinyl eras so there was an era when i dj'd so there's a lot of 12 inch hip-hop and r&b there's a lot of stuff for me mum and dad that they didn't want and then over the years i've just preferred listening to vinyl you sort of get into the, knowing the sounds better and you get a better turntable and there's a lot of indie in there as well which i prefer listening to so there's a big mismatch of albums 12 inch records the odd rarity that sort of turned up here and there and stuff like that so you've got the obsession with lost you're, you've, got, you've got the vinyl, so there is a, a strain of the collector within you. There's an obsessive personality, I suppose. There is, and I suppose it's better this than it is drugs or alcohol, I suppose. Absolutely. It could be a lot worse, couldn't it? And don't get me wrong, I've probably spent enough money on it all. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. It's not, it's not a good addiction, I suppose. <laughs> was it something that crept up on you, or was it instant, this love for Sabuccio? No, so it was a bit of both, really. So when we had this flat, we, it was just the two of us. Me and like she was my girlfriend at the time. We were just living there, and we both worked for the same company. So one day I'd be in, and we'd have different days off. One day I was sitting there bored, and I was like, what can I do? And I was looking around on the internet, and I'd look around. I said, oh, I remember when with my old flat, mate, when I said I'd one day build a Sputio Stadium in a loft. And I just suddenly thought, that's it. Oh, I'm going to do it. I've got the space. I've got the time. I've got the money. And I went out, bought a set, laid a picture out, went on eBay, bought one stand. And then it sort of grew from there and all I wanted to do was build the stadium that we all wanted as a kid that is all I wanted I didn't want anything else and then as I was building it someone I worked with got in touch and said look I've got a load of teams if you want to look at them oh yeah I'll grow I'll grab them so then I grabbed some teams then I finished the stadium and I thought all right maybe I'll look at other stuff maybe I'll build the original like the green tan stadium I'll grab that then I had to finish that and then it just grew from there and it did yeah it did just sort of pick up on me and there was a time where I can't remember what I put on it was before I had the Sabutio Collector account. It was just on my personal account. I put a picture on Instagram. It was either of the original Italian United Stadium that I wanted to build, or it was a picture of my loft with all the pictures set up. And it just went crazy. I'd never known anything like it. For about three days, I was walking around telling everyone I was this massive. <laughs> like, oh, I'm big on Instagram because all of a sudden my phone just kept going crazy with people retweeting and liking. I thought, this might have legs. And I thought, let's, let's set up my own little thing here. Let's set up a Sabutio Collector account. And what I collect, I'll put on there and we'll just go from there. And then, yeah, I suppose it did in a way creep up on me. The sort of, not the wrong word is fame, but sort of the popularity of it. People really liking it, engaging with it. And people are like, oh, you're bringing me back to my childhood. And I was like, that's quite cool. I like that. And then so it sort of goes from there. And then I decided to do the YouTube channel 
purely on the back of me watching loads of rubbish on YouTube, watching people unbox stuff, but then watching Subutio, and they're not being much on there, apart from people playing games. I thought, well, I could do that with Subutio. And then I pondered and pondered and pondered. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to throw it in. And I did it, and it all sort of grew from there, really. Do you think that you'll reach a point where you ever stop this, or is this with you to the end? Yeah, I don't think it will stop, because I've got this room. I suppose when this room gets full, which it's touching on now, it might slow down, but my son's five years old and he wants to creep in here all the time. Every now and again, I'll catch him getting a team out or trying to flick a player around badly, which is the best <laughs> bit about it. But as he gets older, I can see myself playing it more because when I was a kid, I didn't play it that much because I was an only child. It sounds like a real soft story and it doesn't mean to. I didn't really play it with people because I was an only, an only child. I'd sort of flick it around, set it up, put it away, that sort of thing. So it would be nice when he's old enough to play it with him and then when his brother gets a little bit older... We can all play it together and then it'll probably, hopefully, carry on with them. I mean, there's a stage where I'll probably never stop collecting, but I suppose there's a point where I might stop doing it on YouTube. It won't be soon. That'll carry on for a long while, but there's got to be a point where I'm, I don't know, this might sound horrible, people might get offended by it, where I'm too old to be that guy on YouTube, if that makes sense, because it's generally kids on YouTube. And I look at myself now and I think, oh my God, I'm 37. I think, oh, one day our kid's going to watch me. Not that kids do watch me because I look, at my, I look at my stats and it's mostly older people. But I like to think getting it on YouTube is trying to get it out to a younger generation, even though they don't watch me. <laughs> I think there are several interesting things there that you've raised that we're going to touch on throughout this interview. There's the mention of Italian 90, because I've seen enough yes. of your work to know that that is a big reason for you getting into Sabuccio in a very interesting Definitely. way. There's the fact that you didn't play it much as a kid. And thirdly, your age, because you are part of a younger generation. You might not feel like it. And I think (laughs) think what's what's really interesting is you're part of a generation that was probably more into computer games even than my generation. But through what you're doing, you are getting at least a couple of different generations of Sabucho players, Sabucho communities to engage and there is now this thriving online community when i first got on youtube there was nothing on there there was a few videos from sort of seven years ago people showing how to play there was no one doing the sort of modern youtube sort of thing i mean i watch people open wrestling figures i watch people open phones i watch people open technology and talk about it and i just thought there's none of that for sabutio and there's loads of collector stuff football's football but I watch people opening like playing cards and stuff like that with American footballers on and go, oh, it's the rookie card. Sabutio is the ideal thing to do because it's so collectible. I mean, for someone to collect every team, it'll be amazing. The community's grown a lot. I mean, I suppose when I come on, there was it's always been some great people on there, but over the sort of five or six years I've been online, it's really, really grown to a point where there's loads of groups. I mean, Sabutio Revival Group on Facebook, I mean, when that popped up, that's grown to be the biggest Facebook group for Sabutio. That's growing really well. There's some great people on Twitter. Really, really good. That's great. Everyone on Twitter sort of supports each other and shares each other's things. And if someone mentions something from another thread, we'll get someone else involved, even to the point where uh, the guy's name escapes me now. The guy who created Royal Rovers, he's quite prolific on Twitter now for talking about Sabutio, and he'll get involved with us as well. It was either a video or an Instagram post you did where you were unpacking a, a, a book, which I think is a seminal uh, Sabucho book called Flick to Kick by Daniel Tatarski. Yeah, it. It's that's about it. 15, 16 years old, that book. And uh, I'm going to be interviewing Daniel on this show. And oh, excellent. When he wrote that book, there was no real, certainly not an online Sabucho community. 
No, it's so it different very now. niche. I mean, there was before. There's, there used to be two. Well, there is still one. No, there is still two forums. Sorry. So you've got the Subutio forum, which is an English one, and then there's an Italian one as well, which I've only dabbled in. I can't understand most of it, even though there is a translation bit on it. But the Italian forum's quite good. But I think with the sort of evident Facebook groups and how easy that is, although that forum's still there and people still use it, that sort of died and it's gone out into the main community and people aren't hiding in corners with it anymore. I mean, even with me, my mates take the mickey out of me. You know what I mean? They, they always take the mickey that like I'm playing with toys and stuff like that. And they're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? It's fun. We're not hiding in corners anymore. With everything, the collecting market, not just for Subutio, for everything, is crazy. You can collect whatever you want. I mean, I remember I used to work in Foot Locker 20 years ago. We used to get people come in, buy their trainers, and they'd be the odd limited edition pair. And I never knew of anyone collecting trainers. Now, if you go online, there's hundreds of people collecting trainers, paying lots of money for them. And with everything, the collecting community, for whatever it is, has just boomed in the last five years, I'd say, from things like the internet. You'd been uh, collecting for a few years before you started the Ubuchio uh, channel. Had you had the idea for those videos for a while? No, it was probably, probably about six months. It probably took me to sort of go from the initial idea of doing it and just throwing myself in. Because I remember watching, like I said, watching people unbox. I think, why don't I do this for Subutio? It doesn't happen. And then... I thought, right, yeah, I can do this. This has got legs. And I, I did loads of research, looked at the right cameras to buy, looked at the right mics, had a dilemma over will people actually watch me or will I just get one view a year or something like that. And in the end, I thought, why am I dilly-dallying about doing it? I'm looking at mics, I'm looking at cameras. I don't need none of that. I've got a mobile phone. I'll just throw myself in and we'll see what happens. Going back to age again, I'm, I think I'm at that generation where I'm young enough to know how social media works but old enough to be able to respect how dangerous it can be at the same time. I can look out and I can control what's going on social media quite well. And if I think I'm going too far, I can wheel it in. It's interesting that you talk about getting that balance right. I do think that is really important and it's not something that comes easily uh, to most people. The videos are very polished. Are these editing skills something you learned along the way or did you already have those skills? No, didn't have a clue. I've thrown myself into anything and all I use is iMovie which is good. It's easy to use. I look at some of my earlier videos. Oh, they're so cringeworthy. When I used to do the welcome to your beauty and say your beauty three times. Oh, it's cringe. Even now I look back and I do the hello, hello, hello at the beginning. That sort of started off now. That cringes me. And I watch me edits from my old, really old edits. And there was horrible jump cuts. I still use the jump cuts, but I was trying to be like, cool. And in the end, I thought, I don't need to do this. So the skills have just come over time and learning with it. They're not polished. It's filmed on an iPhone. The only thing I use for the sound is a lapel mic. That's all I use. And now I've got this little ring light to add a bit of lighting because it's a bit darker in here. But there is absolutely nothing special with it. And I can't wait to get to my 100th episode because when I do that, I'm finally going to get rid of the hello, hello, hellos and just say, how are you doing at the beginning of the video? Because they're cringing me. I can't find a way to stop. So on the 100th video anniversary, I'm going to stop. That's your exclusive. <laughs> that's, that's the exclusive right here. So you had Sabutio as a kid, but you yep. weren't really a collector. Not at all. What I used to do, I mean, I remember Christmas 1990, like I always tell this story, Italian 90 had happened before, Christmas 1990. I got the grandstand set, set it up, had the grandstand, played it a bit on Christmas Day. Would always get it out maybe once a week. I remember the cupboard in my bedroom. It was like a cupboard built into the wall, like a square. I'd get it out, set it up play a little bit, knock a bit around, not be very good, not understand the rules, put it away again, do it again a month later. Then I saw on Blue Peter, they'd show you how to make stop motion videos using a real video camera by stop, starting it and stopping it. 
I did a bit of that with it, which was quite fun. And then I didn't really collect any other teams, but what I always used to do, and I did this even after I got rid of it, when I got rid of it, we get older, we get into football manager and championship manager and girls and you're too cool for school. Once I got rid of it, I always still remember going into Toys R Us and looking at the displays of teams. Not because I was going to buy any, just because I wanted to see what teams were there. It still interested me. There was still that draw, even though I'd sold it for whatever silly reason it was. When you talk about the Italian 90s set, I think you mentioned grandstand there. Did it actually come with a stand? I mean, what were the accessories with that Italian 90s set? You got the grandstand with it, which was the red and blue grandstand. You got the linesman, you got the dugout, you got the corn flags, you got the pitch. Don't remember if it had the Italian 90 goals in it. I think it might have done. I think it had the Italian 90 goals. I can't remember if I bought them separately. I remember having the pitch separate. The Italian 90 pitch comes separate. You had three teams. You had Argentina, Germany, possibly England. I think they're the ones I possibly had. Although I do remember having an England team because I used to double it up and use it as Tottenham as well because the colours were really similar. In the actual box set, what I remember was the grandstands, the original pitch, possibly the Italian 90 goals, the dugouts. Oh, you had all the stadium accessories as well, like the ball boys, the cameramen. A fence, of course. Yeah, proper. The stickers to go on it. So right away with your first Sabutio set, you're exposed right away to the stadium or bits of a stadium. And that stays in your head for like 20 plus years. Yeah, because that's what you want as a kid. All I used to say is, I want the full stadium, I want the full stadium. And I'd get the usual comment from my mum and dad, no, you're not spending that amount of money. Because back then it must have cost a fortune to build a stadium. I don't know anyone who built a full stadium in Sabutio. I don't even think I was lucky enough to have a ball to mount the pitch on. (laughs) <laughs> but still that standard come out be put next to the ground every single time how much of your purchases are spontaneous and how much really takes a lot of time online hunting it down haggling for a fair price not not a lot of haggling if i'm honest i'm lucky now some people do get in touch with me now which is quite nice since i set up the website some people do get in touch with me via email so i've got these bits to sell them bits can normally involve some haggling as well the bits that take the most research for me are the really old bits from sort of the 60s and 70s because there's so many fakes. And I find if them bits are just being sold online on their own, I don't normally take them. The only time I'll normally buy the older sort of bits team-wise is if they're already within a job lot or something like that. Because that way I feel like I've got a little bit more trust that this person's not trying to pull a fast one because there's loads of bits mixed in. Whereas if I'm buying a lightweight team, sort of 90s era or 80s era, doesn't take much research if i want it i'll probably buy it and probably pay way too much money for it i don't do a lot of research on them teams i try and set myself a limit although that limit nowadays has probably got to go up because the price has just gone bonkers the prices are getting even higher now i don't seem to stop i mean since lockdown they've really gone up and it's a good thing really and i always say this is a bittersweet thing because myself and everyone else in the community online on twitter on youtube we do all this great promoting for sabutio bring more people into it which is really good because we're getting more people into it but then at the same time it's bittersweet because the more people we get into it the more people we're competing with to buy things for <laughs> so you sort of think what have i done i've got all these people involved in Sabutio, and now i've got to compete against them to buy more then if people weren't involved they would be watching me which means i probably wouldn't be buying as much <laughs> it's a real sort of cool problem are you often dealing with the same collectors Online, i mean i don't really buy from a lot of collectors or dealers or anything like generally a lot of my stuff is found through trawling ebay or facebook or marketplace or stuff like that i don't go to a lot of dealers the only time i think i bought from a dealer is when they had something really specific that i wanted i mean at the moment i've just said i've got a seven month old baby now so at the moment i don't really go on looking for anything i'm keeping my ear to the ground and you just sort of look at what pops up you'll scroll through facebook 
you'd be like, oh, someone's selling that. And you sort of do it that way or word of mouth. Because of the kid, I can't just go out and be like, yeah, I'm going to drop this amount of money on that. This is where the negotiating comes in. And at the moment, I don't seem to get very far. I don't know if I'm being too tight at the moment or what, or, or people are just trying to get more. It doesn't seem to be working for me. Are sellers aware of who you are? And is that counting against you in some instances? Um, possibly. It may well possibly. People might think I'll pay whatever. But then I suppose people within the community, they, they know who I am. And it doesn't. For example, before Christmas, there was a listing that come up about six miles away from me on Facebook. And when I popped around, as soon as I had the guy on the door, he said, oh, I thought it was you. And he was offering stuff at a really fair price. So it didn't go against me. But maybe some of the people that email me via the website probably look at the channel and think, oh, he spent this amount of money on that. Maybe he'll spend a lot of money on this. And maybe that could go against me a little bit. I try and be fair. Don't worry, I've done some great deals in the past. Some really fair deals. I've probably won on some stuff and I've probably lost on some stuff. It balances out in the end. It's all to do with karma, really. There are some videos, and it may not be the intention, but they end up working out almost as a Sabucho history lesson. I found myself absorbed in a video just about fences because I grew up with the, <laughs> the green picket fences. I had no yep. idea about the red fencing that had preceded that. I had no idea about, I think, was it string before that? That's it. I didn't. You know, I just thought it was the green fence and that was it. It's not until you sort of start looking through. Like, oh, my God, there was this fence before that and this fence before that. And the only reason I did that video and sort of spoke about it is because I was using the, um, the Zawago fence in the loft. And I thought, oh, I'm mentioning fences. I might as well talk about all the fences. And one of the other videos, I think I've spoke about history of grandstands or someone's asking me at the moment to do history of floodlights. I don't intend for it to be a history lesson. I literally just intend for it to be me talking about what I've got and feeling like I should talk about it things but it comes across and that is what people like. Are there any particular sites that you follow or did follow at the start that helped you get clued up on becoming the collector that you are now? Yeah so Peter Upton's site I think is the go-to bible for all Subutio. Even before I collected I'd end up Peter Upton's site reading things. I still do it now. I still find things on that website now that I've not read. There is so much on it. It really is a bible. And that is the website that I still use to this day. A lot of people do. I mean, there's other websites I'll use for cataloging teams and stuff like that. But as a history, that website is perfect. Right the way from the first advert going into Boys Own Magazine in 1947, right up to now and the new sets coming out. There's information about it. There's information about the spin-off products, the other companies that got involved, teams, the what references they were, why accessories were made. It is so, so detailed. I tried last year to back up the website because I thought one day this website's going to be taken down and I need to keep this. And I tried to back it up and I was a bit tight and didn't want to pay the 20 pounds. <laughs> it has been updated this year, I think, Peter. Yeah, it's great. Has had a bit of a presence this year. It's a shame that he doesn't like to do interviews because it is a great website, as you say. It's it's just got everything on it. Yeah, we was talking on the Sabutio show, our new podcast. I don't know if you've heard it or listened to it. Yeah. We, was, we was talking on that and we said, what a great guest to get on it be Peter Upson and one day I think in the new year we are going to do our utmost I think if all four of us just sort of bombard him with emails he might come on it'd be great if we could maybe go down there and interview him one day because the information he must have must be unreal it is must incredible unreal. it's written a bible I mean it could be translated into a book easily so easily publishers would pick it up straight away I reckon just by looking at the website from the list of teams and accessories that you're still after that are up on your site 
And maybe you don't want to be specific here because that might cause <laughs> you problems. But are there some that are just always on that list because they're so hard to get? No, it's not even because they're hard to get. They're just teams that I want because I feel like I need them. The Lullagenda teams that are on there, they are all on there because that is the closest I'll ever be to completing a whole range of teams. So them I want because I know one day I'll be able to get all them. But I think there's an AC Milan away on there that I'd really like just because I'm a big AC Milan fan. So I'd quite like to get that to complete that set and have an AC Milan home and away. I think I've got a Coventry Talbot T on there. The kit just looks pucker. It's such a good looking kit. Coventry seems to have really good Sabutio kits. So it's just the kit I want. I don't really collect to have like the most rarest item or the most expensive item. What I collect, I collect purely because it's what I want and it's because what I enjoy. I mean, I would happily pay £2 for a side. It have those broken arms and legs just because it's got a kit that I want as opposed to spending like £500 some of these teams get listed as. I wouldn't pay that just to have that team in the collection because it wouldn't interest me. And there's thousands of teams in Sabutio that I will always be picking a team because it's what I want. <laughs> Actually, there are quite a few, well, not quite a few, but there are some videos where you're unpacking a team and there's a two or three broken players in it and you just take it in your stride, which I think is, I is marvellous. I love it. There's, this, is where, this is where I like to think I get a bit controversial. There's so many collectors out there, whether they're collecting Sabutio or anything else or toys, it's got to be mint perfect in box. And I totally disagree with it. Toys were meant to be played with, right? And if you get a box and it's got a broken arm or a player broken off or a load of writing in the box with a load of team names, that shows how much it was loved. And you're not necessarily collecting the team, you're collecting the story. There's a story behind that team. And I can look at it, it might be a completely different story to what it really was. But I can look at it and think, yeah, man, that's history. That's history right there. And it's not going in the bin, it's going to someone that's going to appreciate it. All toys, whether you're collecting wrestling figures, whether you're collecting Star Wars figures, Barbies... They're toys. They should be out of the box. I've always believed that. It should all come out of the box. I mean, yes, I mean, people might say, oh, you don't play it, though. And I don't play enough. But I still get it out of the box because it's a toy. It should be handled. There's a guy called Matt Cardona, who's a wrestler. He collects wrestling figures, and he does the same. He spends a little bit more money than me. He'll spend thousands on one wrestling figure that's really rare. The first thing he does is rip the box open. <laughs> and I didn't know he did that until sort of I watched his video. I was like, oh, someone that believes the same as me. And he gets slated for it, for doing it, because, oh, it's breaking the money. It's not worth the money anymore. But there is a slow community of people out there that are getting their heads around. They're toys. Get them out. Play with them. Let them breathe. That's the way they should be. They're toys. They shouldn't be boxed up, hidden away. You know what I mean? When you're reading the spec on a particular item that's being offered, you're not going to be too fussy about the condition of a box or anything? No, of course not. If the box has got loads of writing on it, so be it. Even if a player is half-painted. I mean, I've got up there a Pisa side which I found in a charity shop in Leon C. I paid £10 for it. And if I'm honest, I've done very well getting that because nowadays that goes for quite a lot of money. But some people would have looked at it. One of the players has been all painted over. Some people would have looked at that and gone, oh, I don't want it. I still want it. <laughs> I still want it because it's got 10 players in there that work fine. It's still got the kit in there. I mean, if I'm lucky enough to do buy a job lot and there's a spare player in there, then yeah, so be it. I'll probably replace that player. But over time, it is what it is. Someone's painted that team for a reason. I mean, I've got loads of teams that have been painted, picked up in job lots and stuff like that. And I won't try and get rid of them because they are what they are. There's a beauty that someone sat there and repainted for whatever reason or wrote names all over the box. There's a reason for it. And that reason should be known. It should be kept as it is because that's the story behind it. 
by your own admission, at least when you set up your website six years ago, you weren't much of a player. Have you improved in the last six years? No, no I am absolutely shocking. So I've only played really probably a handful of times in that time. I went to a couple of fun tournaments where I lost a lot, but still really enjoyed it. I did a video which came out on Christmas Eve with the rules of video for people that got the game for Christmas. And honestly, it took me ages. I mean, you can see watching the video, my flicks go everywhere. I miss the target. The players don't go where they should. It took me hours to film that. And that was the best shots I could get. I am truly awful. I'm that bad. I think that is something that just adds to my intrigue about you and your whole love for Sabutio. And it's something I can relate to because my main work is I'm a screenwriter, but I don't like going to the cinema. You're obsessed yeah. with Sabutio. You buy so much Sabutio, but you don't particularly enjoy playing it. There's a, a recent video where you're watching Sabutio <laughs> online and you weren't that oh, impressed. You so did boring. Don't get me wrong. I really, I do enjoy playing it. When I play against people, I really, I do enjoy it. But watching people play it on the internet is the most boring thing ever. It's the worst advert for Sabutio. I mean, some of the tournaments I've been to, they're fun because the guy who puts them on, he decorates the pitches. He does a Star Wars pitch. His name's Stephen Morton, known as the Stadium of Fingers because he's probably got the most impressive Sabutio stadium ever. But he'll, he'll make like a Star Wars pitch and in the middle of it will be a Death Star and he'll make a Harry Potter pitch, which has got a train going across the pitch. Playing on pitches like that, it's so much fun. And even when I play on his normal pitches, I have fun playing it. And you can watch people play on there because it's a laugh and it's a giggle and people are getting involved. But when people play competitively, honestly, it's brain numbing. There's just no atmosphere. Everyone's got a serious face. They look like they're going to break out into full-blown riot. And I just think, you're playing Sabuti, oh man. It's a game. It's a, it's a game that, like... You're... <laughs> I'd probably say that you get the same in computer games, didn't you? People playing competitive FIFA. It's like, it's game of FIFA. I don't know. Maybe it's my generation that thinks things like that because we're very much in between sort of what things are. It's a game. Don't get too carried away with it. Even, even real football, I could say the same with. I mean, people get right into football. They won't talk to someone who supports another team. They won't talk about football for a week. I mean, I'm an Arsenal fan. I know Arsenal fans at the moment. They won't talk to anyone about football point blank. But it is what it is, or they'll get the ump because Liverpool won the league. It's like, I don't hate them, just enjoy it. It is what it is. You're not involved, enjoy the spectacle. So within that obsessiveness for collecting Sabucho to the extent that you have, there is quite a healthy attitude towards it. And oh, I love it. It's very balanced. If you play the game, you're not going to be stressed out. You're going to try and enjoy no it. It's just a game. Exactly. One day I'm going to do a video and I think it could be one of my funniest videos because most of my stuff's quite tongue in cheek anyway. I don't mind embarrassing myself. One day I want to get in touch with someone who plays proper professional fistiff rules and they sort of really are professional. And I want to play them one on one, (laughs) me setting up normal and just tell them, do what you do in a match. And I think it would be hilarious watching me laugh at how bad I am and how good they are. I think that'd be a really funny concept. And then get him to show me how they play professionally. And it will still be bad. It will still be funny. It's a game. We should enjoy these things. It's, like, it's very tongue-in-cheek. You know what I mean? We're grown men playing with kids' toys. How can it not be tongue-in-cheek? Tell me about your favourite figures. What are the figures that you prefer to collect? Because there are so many different Sabucho figures. Are the heavyweight figures from the classic era, are they the most valuable? They can be, yeah. I mean, there's some really valuable sides in them. I mean, some of the really rare teams, really rare references can go for hundreds. 
sort of two, three hundred pound in really good condition. For me, my favourite teams to collect are the lightweights from the sort of eighties and nineties because yeah, they're not hand painted because they're machine printed. The kits just look awesome. Eighties kits, nineties kits. Oh, they're just they're the most iconic kits ever. The kits in the sixties and seventies were just they were very basic. There was a red top and white shorts and and so on. But in when they started making these kits. They just look so good. I mean, I'm looking up now at the Arsenal 92 one with a JVC on it and the bits on the sleeve. And then you've got the Liverpool with a free Adidas bits coming across. Just really like iconic designs. That's why, for me, even as an Arsenal fan, I look at the Tottenham kit up there, the away kit from 91-95, and I just think, that is a classic kit. That is a proper kit there. For me, the lightweights will always be my favourite. Maybe not to play with. I get why people prefer the heavyweights to play with, but... Lightweight kits are just iconic. And I will argue it till the cows come home. You couldn't have got the West Germany 1990 kit any better than they did on this video. The lightweights, are they figures that came in after zombies? That's it, yeah. So you had the heavyweight figure first. Well, not first, you had the celluloids first. But you had the flat players and you had the heavyweights. And then they wanted to do it so they could make machine print these figures and make them easy to make. And they made the zombie, which was ugly. And then they tweaked it. And we come up with a lightweight now, which you can't believe. Even the zombies are all right. They need some love. Yeah. Zombies need love too. <laughs> the the celluloids you mentioned there, the origins of Sabutio are very strange in terms of how it launched and what it went on to become from the early 60s onwards. Yep. And then there was the very curious 2005 relaunch, which I remember covering, and I felt a bit disappointed by it. It seemed such a strange decision to go back it's to it. so bad. It's so bad. But there's a real collected element in that. Because I look at that set, and I was talking to Martin on what's his Sputio Art channel and their fantasy football show. And he got a set out the show and I was like, have you got a Paolo Maldini? <laughs> First thing I wanted was a Paolo Maldini figure. I was like, have you got one? I'll take it because I want one in my set. But even the bases on them aren't very nice. It was a real fouled relaunch. Apart from the Urban Arena, which they did. I don't know if you've seen that, which come out around the same time. No, it was I like haven't. an outdoor street football bit where you had ramps and basketball nets that you could flick in. That looked awesome. But again, it was with them horrible photo-real players. Have you ever considered collecting the celluloids from the early Sabuto era? Is that an ambition? I have I have got a few. I say I wouldn't go jumping into it. I mean, I've got the ones that obviously come in the sets. I've got two up there. They're my sort of thing that I go to. If I've really got an itch to scratch, if you go on the Sabuto World website, they're not really expensive, some of the sides. You can buy a set still in the strips for about a tenner. And I do look at them and I think, oh, I've got an itch to scratch. All right, I'll get one of them. <laughs> Looking back to 2014 and what you know now, what advice would 2020 Sabucho Collector have for 2014 Sabucho Collector? I don't know. Be prepared, I suppose. Watch out. This is what I tell everyone else when they say, oh, they're just getting involved or getting into it. I say, be prepared. You're going down a rabbit hole because you just don't realise how much there is. I mean, I just wanted the stadium and now I'm in a room full of it and I've got stadium in the loft stadium in here boxed up stadium now I've got cricket pitches rugby pitches loads of random spares it is a rabbit hole that you just don't know you're going down and once you get one bit you have to then get the next bit you get the black scoreboard you have to get the blue scoreboard from 96 and then the original brown scoreboard like you said with the fences there's the green fence then suddenly you realize you need the cricket fence and so on and so on and so on beware of the rabbit hole set yourself a limit as well for what you spend because it's very easy to overspend very easy. <laughs> As if you weren't big enough in the Sabucho world now, you've now got involved I'm with... I'm not that big. Well, you, I'm you, not that big. You've, now, <laughs> you've <laughs> now got involved with Netflix. How did that come about? <laughs> I noticed for a long while, 
there was something called Subutio TV in um, Italy. And it was just four blokes talking on the screen. And I don't speak Italian. I didn't have a clue what they were on about. But I thought, that looks like a really good concept. I wonder what they're doing. I thought about it. I messaged Stephen at Subutio Online and Callum at Westwood and Watts is over at Watts's and said, do you fancy getting together and doing this? We can work it out, maybe do it as a podcast, put it online. And we sort of thought what we could spoke about. And it sort of all grew from there. And we did some test shoots. We did one test shoot that we thought was going really, really well. Played it back and it had loads of echo on it. And we've had to learn how to do stuff again. But it was just sort of seeing something done, being influenced by something I don't know what I was talking about and thinking we could do this ourselves. I never knew about Zoom before March this year and suddenly everyone started using it. I realised we could use it for this and it's just sort of snowballed. And now we've got this show, which we really enjoy doing because we've all got our own bits going on. I mean, Stephen's got his blog, which is fantastic. Callum and Lawrence have both got their painting channels. Watts has got his fantasy art channel. Just sort of brought it all together as a collaboration. And we're all similar ages, so we're all in the same era of Subuto, if you like. And yeah, it was just trying to put something else out there to do something a little bit different, really. Yeah, I really enjoyed doing it. I can't wait for the new year when we can do our next one. It doesn't sound like there were any rivalries to iron out before you guys launched Netflix, that you were all quite no, supportive of each other. Yeah, well, that's the good thing I find about Twitter. Everyone is so supportive of everyone. I mean, right from the start, I'll always support Stephen and his blog. I think his blog's fantastic. Callum and Lawrence are doing both their work. We always put that out and share that with everyone else as well. Everyone's really supportive on Twitter. It's great. This uh, Stephen's blog, is this the Sabutio online blog? That's it, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrific it newsletter. It's one of the few brilliant. newsletters I actually read. It, it is brilliant. <laughs> it is. No, it is. It's so, so good. And I still find now... I look up stuff and it directs me to his website. I'm like, Christ, that is Stephen about that ages ago. He really seems to have his finger on the pulse. Netflix has opened strongly. My favourite episode so far is the one on uh, the best Sabucho balls. And <laughs> that's the episode that gave me a real insight into a possible starting point for your Sabucho love because of the way in which you eulogised about the detail on the Italian 90 ball. Oh, it's brilliant. And I think you say that without that ball, you don't get into Sabutio. No, no one does, because it's that. You First, you get that ball. You get Italian 90 was on. That was massive. So you get the ball and you look at it and then you think, yeah, pucker. Then you want the goals to go with it. And then you go further down the line. And without that ball, you wouldn't have the Italian 90 goals. Without the Italian 90 goals, you don't have the Euro 96 goals. You don't have the USA 94 goals. And it just opened a whole new world up of people playing the game and getting into it because Italian football was massive as well in the early 90s. I remember on a Saturday morning watching what's-his-name sitting there with his newspaper. Yeah, and it was just Italian football was massive and it just helped get people into Sabutio. And I don't think Sabutio would have survived as long without that. I really don't. It's pucker. I'm just looking at the ball from my rear. Even from a metre away, I can see the detail on Chow on that ball. And it is the best Sabutio ball ever. I don't care what one on the podcast. (laughs) It is the best Sabutio ball. (laughs) Just a moment longer on Sabucho Balls. There's a lovely little short you post on your channel. I think subsequent to that Netflix episode, it's about an Ariba ball that you buy. Yep. I think your research, the research you guys did, established that it it was a ball that was maybe going to be used in the old NASL league before it it folded in 84. The funny thing is, you bought it from a seller on eBay who was selling the cake topper. <laughs> it's, that's incredible. Did they know it was a Sabutio ball? They must have done. Just quick before I go into it, we found out all that information through Stephen. That's how good he is at finding stuff out about Sabutio. He's somehow sat and done loads and loads of digging 
and found out all that information. And we couldn't find anything. Callum couldn't even find a picture of it. <laughs> like, that's the incredible knows, side of the internet, isn't it, really? So that's, that's amazing. Stephen's research is brilliant. But no, it's interesting because at the time, I just bought it. I didn't look at the seller. I went back to the seller just to ask him a question, even though it was months down the line. And he it, it is a Subutio shop. He's, I can't remember what his full username is, but it's something Subutio shop. But when I went through his listings, he sells quite a few bits. Like, I must just do like the odds and sods as cakes toppers. But thinking about it, Probably quite a good idea because people buy all sorts of different things to top cakes with. And if you're just selling the odd spare figure as a cake topper, it probably works. It probably does, really yeah. does. But the reason, and this is this is the dark side of social media, the reason I actually went back onto it is a couple of years ago on the YouTube channel, I had a troll. Someone was giving me loads of stick and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he turned up again the other night trying to give me a load of stuff. And he was saying that it was his wife that sold it online and he did it on purpose so he could catch me out. And I was messaging him like, how have you done that to catch me out? There was other stuff on there. And I messaged the seller on there saying, I don't suppose you know blah, 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 dear. And he was like, no, I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> That's the only reason I went back to it, doing a bit of research on my troll. Because I will find out his name and I will name him on my show. <laughs> We've got some questions for you that have come in via social media. Oh, excellent. Just before we move on from that last ball, and, and not so much the troll, but the ball, I, I vaguely remember having that ball. I don't know what I did with it. Oh, but, really? But again, I never, as a kid, I never thought, well, What's a Reva? I never questioned that. But... It's a bus company, right? It's a yeah, bus company. A bus company. <laughs> That's what it is. All right. Mark215, they ask, what's your favourite accessory? Oh, that's a tough one. Oh, I'm going to, do you know what? It's, I'm on the spot now, so I really need to think about it. I'm going to go with a pointless accessory. I love the, um, I don't know what the front name is, I'm going to call it the hooligan fencing. Like the old metal railing fence. I don't know what you'd call it. Barricades, I suppose. That was in your video, wasn't it, recently? Yeah, I love it because it's just so iconic of the time. Mid-80s, football was in a bit of a dark patch and somehow Sabutio jumped on that bandwagon (laughs) and bought that fence. And I just think it looks so cool. I'm looking at it now in front of the terrace and it just adds a real bit of realism. We've got Neil SMI18. Well, I won't read out all the numbers anyway. Neil (laughs) SMI on Twitter's got two questions. What's the worst product ever produced by Sabuccio? I'm going to be controversial because I know people love them. But the rosettas they made, they're like little badges. But it's basically a large Sabuccio player in front of a rosetta. And when I bought one, I thought, oh, this will look cool. And I got it and I was so disappointed because it just looks pathetic. But they did. They apparently made them in all different colours, all the team references. I just look at it and I really think, what's the point? What <laughs> it's horrible. What era was that from? That's 60s, really 60s. People used to use them as trophies and they'd give them away for bits like that, but I think they're horrible. It's just no point to it. People will say there's no point to the crash barriers. You can get crash barriers to go in your stadium. People will say there's no point to them, but I think there's a lot more point in them than there is that Rosetta because you'd look like a right spanner walking around with that on you, <laughs> I tell you. Doesn't it? It's not even got a pin badge on it. It's just got a clip. So you'd need to hook it over your collar, which would just look even more silly. <laughs> no, I don't get it. Honestly, I really don't get it. Neil's second question. If you moved to a desert island and could only take five teams with you, which would Ooh, you take? That's a different one. Five teams. All right. So Arsenal Bruce Banana would definitely be in there. I'd have to have my Arsenal Bruce Banana. I'd have my farm team of the band The Farm. I'd have their Sabutio team because that's probably one of my rarest. What colour are they? So it's green. It's like an old Adidas kit in a way, but it's green and it's got white sashes and red sashes at the top with white shorts, red socks and a yellow inner on a green base. 
Why did they get their own Sabucho team? So I've spoken to a couple of the guys from the farm about this. Basically, they were just in the right place at the right time. So they'd done a bit of promotion of photos and stuff around Sabutio. Sabutio saw it, invited them down, sort of saying, do you want to come to the factory? Do you want to do your own team? And they was just sort of like, yeah, all right, we'll go along with it. And it's all sort of spiraled from there for them, really. It was literally just because they'd had photo shoots with Sabutio being played in the background. And then on the um, song altogether now, the sleeve outer in is a soldier on a, on a Sabutio base. Difficult to track down that team? Yeah, it cost me a bit of money. That is one team I have really wanted to do. And I, I, I mugged myself off with it because I bought it on auction, a proper auction. I'd never done it before. Didn't realise quite how much the fees were on top. So I paid for it, won it, and then had to pay a big percentage on top as well, which killed me. I kind of regret that. But I learned a lesson. <laughs> one of my lessons learned. But what a good team to learn the lesson with. So what other teams would I take? So Arsenal Brews Banana, my farm side, Germany 1990, what a kit. I'd have the England away as well, the England Red away from 1990 as well, just because I had that shirt as a kid. And then, oh, I feel like I'm on the spot now for a fifth. Oh, there's so many. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go with a Chelsea kit. I don't know what reference. I'm just going to call the Chelsea kit because I assume my dad supports. Are we talking? Play it safe. Are we talking heavyweight era, lightweight? No, definitely lightweights. We'll go with Chelsea 802, which is all blue with white socks and a little bit of red trim. Okay. I think um, it's the Amiga. I think. Remember the kit they used to have with Amiga on it? Yeah. So that's got some red trim. One. Red trim on the collar, maybe. That's it. Yeah. Pretty sure it's that one, which might be a bit. So it might be after 1992, that. So you might have to cut this out. <laughs> As often as needed asks, what won't you buy? What won't I buy? I don't, I don't just stick to one thing. That's a really, what won't I buy? What I won't buy anymore is any more red and blue terracing because I've got enough for that full stadium. I don't need any more grandstands. If I was to get any of that in a job lot, then yes, but I wouldn't necessarily go out just to buy red and blue terracing. But there's not anything I wouldn't really buy. If it's a beauty oh, and the price is right and I fancy it, then I'd probably buy it. <laughs> End meeting asks, actually, I recognise the reference to this or the, the video it's referring to. Uh, did you sort out the leak in your new loft? This is when you started <laughs> building, <laughs> building your new stadium at the start of the year. No, is the answer, because I was up there recently on my build and we have a real problem of condensation up there, but we don't know where it's come from. But it's not just a problem up there. It's around the whole house now. So it looks like we've got a ventilation problem. We're not sure if it's the windows or if it's ventilation. But as soon as we get into the new year, I'm going to get it sorted. But the one good thing about it in the loft is where the condensation hits, it all drips in one place. So it's not actually ruining the loft. (laughs) It's just there. But we didn't have this last winter, which is what we don't understand. It's just sort of happened. So this is your second winter in that house? This is our second winter here. And we didn't have this problem last year. But we think it's a ventilation problem. We've done a bit of research on it, looked into it. It could be the windows, could be ventilation. But then we did have a problem last year. So we'll be getting someone out, but I've sorted it. I just might need to uh, get a new, um, what do you call it, running track for it, because that is ruined, sadly. Okay, I'm sorry to hear that, because I have been watching the progress of the stadium, which we're going to come to. I've had an idea. I have had an idea of doing something else. There is, Zuego made a running track years ago, which is really hard to get hold of. But there is a couple of companies that will make a pitch for you, a custom pitch. So in the new year, I might speak to them and sort of say how much for a pitch plus 
having the running track around it as well. Then I might be able to get some of my um, emblems pasted on it as well. It's not always bad. It might be a silver lining to it. The running track you bought, though, that was from Zwego, was it? No, that was Pegasus. I got that from oh. Sputio World. As good as it is, it's a great concept. It's huge. It's it is. so big. I didn't realise how big it was when I first started doing it. And because it goes together like a jigsaw, and it doesn't necessarily perfectly clip together flat, so it's not the best thing in the world, but it can work. I think if I'd have maybe stuck it down beforehand and not left it, it might not have crinkled up or rolled with it. So it might be a little bit of my fault, but it is huge. I know people that have bought it and then sort of thought, I can't use it. I don't know where to put it. Because my original plan was to do it in this room, but the actual stadium wouldn't fit. I wouldn't get it in here. I wouldn't be able to get it in the room. On a normal Sabutio grandstand, you have one, two, three, four, five grandstands down the long side of the pitch. With that, it works out that I needed nine. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, three, you normally get three along the sort of behind the goal. I needed five on that. It is absolutely huge. It sort of turned into its own beast. We've got a couple more questions for you. Searching Soul 71, I think they're based in Australia. Uh, were there any Australian team strips produced by Sabutio or any stroke, many Australian links to the product? Be fascinated to find out. Oh, do you know what? I'm going to embarrass myself here. I don't know. I've never seen specifically an Australian team be made on its own, but it wouldn't surprise me if they could piggyback on many other team reference. There are people now in the game that probably paint up Australian teams and sell them, but I've never seen a specific Australian team reference done. However, in the rugby range, you could buy the All Blacks, I think. So okay. in the rugby range, yes, because you could buy the All Blacks. Although they're New Zealand, didn't they? <laughs> well, Stan, I've just offended, just offended everyone. Yeah, no, of course, that would be um, New Zealand, but they would have made Australia as well in the green and yellow. They would have yeah, done Australia that's an international team, yes. Yeah, but I don't think club side. But there are some people, there's a guy, I can't remember his name, in Australia who's very well known for making tables and making pitches. Quite a little good community in Australia, apparently. I know Melbourne, there's a club. And I know there's a couple of other clubs dotted across. So, in fact, if you was to go on Twitter and search Australia Subutio, there's loads of people, loads of people out there. We've talked about how supportive the Subutio community is. But what about in the world of collectors? Does it ever get competitive? No, not really. I'm sure we probably get competitive with each other and not knowing because we might be bidding against each other on something. But no, generally, if you've got something and you post it, people will congratulate and reward you for having it or ask questions. I've never seen any jealousy. The Sabuto community is really rewarding and quite unsupportive. If you've got something, even with people, if they've got something and they know you want it, they'll message you. If it's quite rare, I've got a South End team over there. People know I've been after a South End for a while because it's local to where I live. A fellow collector messaged me. He didn't necessarily want it, but he messaged me saying there's a South End team up for sale. I was like, oh, pucker. And off I went and got it. I know everyone's quite supportive of each other. It's good like that. I wanted to ask whether the virus had impacted on your buy-in. And I'm going to pay you two unexpected compliments within this question. <laughs> okay. And this is based on watching your work for a number of years. And it's related to the time we're in. Now, you've got really good teeth. You've also got very... Oh, I haven't. Well, they look good. You've, you've also got very strong the filter. Teeth. Now, when you're unpacking your boxes in this COVID era, and I'm watching you, and you're biting I into know. times, and I'm thinking, I'm waiting, know. I'm waiting for your next video to come along, just so I know that you've survived. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I thought it myself. Probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> just can't help myself. I get so excited. I'm just like, rip it apart. 
wife's had a go at me for it. She's even had a go at me for buying stuff. Why are you buying stuff? They might have had COVID, especially when I got some stuff delivered from Italy. I had something come from Italy and she was like, that's come from Italy. It's like, babe, it's going to be fine. It's been in travel for days. She's like, no, 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 it's not. <laughs> Has it made you alter your or, or reconsider where you're buying from? No, not at all. Not at all. Don't get me wrong. The COVID situation is horrible. It's going to be a problem buying anything. But I, I, I do think everything that comes along, it's been through the post. It's had time to sort of sit and for the germs to sort of get off it. It's not crossed my mind until you've mentioned it now. <laughs> it's definitely not made me buy less. I've bought just as much. If anything, the only reason I've bought less is because I've been on furlough at times and I've not been able to afford it. But then I've been finding other things to do on the channel, like build the stadium in the loft and finally put that together and a dedicated video about the most expensive items this year and stuff like that. So there's always room to go, even without buying something on the channel. We're going to wrap up shortly by talking about your new stadium because it's absolutely magnificent. Um, <laughs> just before that, you mentioned uh, your Sabucho pal, Stephen, who is Sabucho online. He's got that really yep. good newsletter. In one of those uh, newsletters, he wrote that in this COVID era, there seems to have been a revival of retro toys such as Hornby train yep. sets. But in his opinion, Sabucho hasn't really followed suit. Is this a missed Not opportunity so. for Sabucho? Massively. The problem with Subutio is that it's not owned by anyone that knows about it or cares for the product. It's owned by Hashbro, who own everything. And I, I remember putting a tweet out that summed this up. Death Row Records, which used to have Tupac and Snoop Dogg and all that on it, they're now owned by Hashbro as well. Hashbro just buy products and they didn't buy Subutio because of that reason. They bought Subutio because it was packaged in with a load of other stuff. But since then, they don't know what to do with it. They've let people license it who are the wrong people for it. They've not really done it. They've not really looked at the products and what it is. If someone like Hornby got involved, or I don't know who owns Scale Electrics, it's probably Hornby or someone like that. If someone like that who cared for it and had that license, it could grow because it could grow not necessarily as a kid's toy. It needs that effort to keep people coming into it. But there's never been the effort made with the older generation, the people that loved it as youth. You always need two separate products under the same umbrella one to appeal to kids that are going to want to play it and one to appeal to people like myself and older people who want to build stadiums and want to collect old vintage teams there's so many gaps where this could be done and a lot of the independent people are doing it Callum at the moment has got his Westwood Table Soccer Club where every month people play a subscription and they get a random team at a surprise sent to him it's only one figure but it's collectible there's gaps like that in the market that people just haven't touched upon in Italy they do the Lulagenda range, sold on magazines. Why has that never been done over here? I mean, I, and I do know people that have tried to get hold of the license and Hashbro haven't given it to them. But even the brands that own it, if they just listen to the community, then it will go in the right direction. But they don't. I mean, I heard with Longshore, the company that have licensed it now from Hashbro, apparently they had a call with people like Subutio World and other companies that deal with it. They put in all these ideas and apparently they've just not been listened to. We get a pitch or we get a random new team. They don't try to get any licensing. Spanish teams get licensed. Italian teams get licensed. The only reason the Italian teams kind of got licensed is because they had to pay a bill because they all got done for um, swindling money, wasn't it, that time, and bribery and all that. And oh, 2006. Yeah, so they needed to get a bit of money back, so they didn't mind licensing out. But if people were just, even even at a lower level in football, Subutio goes so well to non-league teams and League One and League Two. Them teams will probably happily license their product to Subutio and let it be sold in their club shop. But no one's trying to do it. The cottage industry is trying, but Hashbro won't have none of it, really, which is a shame. 
because there are people out there that if they was to give them Gareth that flicks for kicks in Scotland and makes for tables, he's tried as far as I know in the past to get an official Sabuto licence. They wouldn't give it to him. But if, if he got it and he was able to produce an official licensed Sabutio table, I'd buy it. And millions of other people would buy it. You've only got to look at the success of things like the winter pitch one, that out, and the scramble to get that. People will buy this stuff if it's right. But if it's not the right stuff, it's not going to happen. It's a shame, really. Someone like Hornby, if they could get their hands on it, it'd be perfect. Absolutely perfect. For the most part, do you try to stick to buying Sabucho products? I mean, you mentioned uh, companies like Legenda there, and we've talked about Zwego briefly, Pegasus. Yeah, so generally, I only buy Sabutio, but there are other bits I've bought. I mean, most of the Zwego I've got in my set, apart from what I bought last time, has come on other job lots and stuff like that. But I will occasionally buy a non-Sabutio product if needs be. The stadium in the loft that I'm building at the moment, I'm actually purposely trying to build that with the least Sabutio products as possible because I've already built the Sabutio Stadium. So I'm trying to build that with Zwego stands and 3D printed stuff from Sabutio Stadium. I won't buy a trophy because it's Sabutio scale, but not made by Sabutio. But there might be a team that I might want. Say, for example, the teams from Escape to Victory. I've bought them on topspin bases years ago because I weren't going to get a Sabutio version. So things like that, yes, I'll buy, but I won't necessarily set out to buy that stuff unless it's something very special. Let's talk about the new stadium. Is it the SC Municipal Stadium that you're building? That's it. The Sabutio Collector Municipal Stadium. I had to give it that name because I wanted it to, <laughs> I wanted it to have that sort of European derelict feel that you go to in the early stages of the Champions League that you know a local community club use for running and stuff like that. Or you might get a concert played out on it in the early 90s. Like Michael Jackson might turn up there and do a concert. It could really be used for absolutely everything. But I didn't know the scale of I'd be doing it because it's taken me ages and way too much money. It's interesting because 30, 40 years ago, those were the stadiums where the big finals would be played. That's right. They look very theatrical. And now because of the Premier League and the television era, we've gone to the old English stadium, the Four Corners. That's close. So you've gone very retro there. Yeah, I saw people that... don't like it because of the running track. People don't like it. They're like, oh, it's too much like West Ham. The fans aren't near to the ground. It's like, well, that's not what I'm trying to create. I want to create that big ground with loads of space. I saw the way you lit it up earlier this month. It looks absolutely stunning. Them lights are great. Them strip lights were so reasonable. And as soon as I turned them on, it was like, this is perfect. This looks absolutely great. And once I get the other tip kick lights on the other end, that lit up the whole loft. I turned the light off in the loft and that lit up the whole loft. My next plan is once I've got the last couple of stands in, I want to get some netting. I I don't know who I was reading it on the other day, but someone was talking about a lot of people talk about using um, like orange packets or the netting off orange or tangerines for goal nets. And someone threw in the comments about using it to stop their players flicking off the table. Oh, that's clever. And it suddenly sparked this idea. You know, you go to the European grounds again, they have the massive nets behind the goal in between that and the stadium to stop the ball going in the ground. I thought, I want to do something like that with it at one end. And I thought that would look really cool. And then I saw, we've got this little wash basket like that. I was like, I just take cut that off. That will unfold. I might be able to peg that in. (laughs) That's my next step with it. Once I've done the lights, once I start putting all the intricate details on it and stuff like that, before I start putting teams on it and fans, which will take forever because it's that big, I'm going to look at doing that netting because I think that will look really cool as well. Originally, your plan was also to incorporate a cricket and rugby pitch up there. But that yep, football stadium looks huge. I saw a video where you were unpacking the athletics track and the realisation 
on your part. <laughs> <Pulled> on me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I even have thoughts now. I think oh, maybe I'll just take the track down. Because what I wanted, there's a feed on um, Twitter, Project Sabutio or Sabutio Project. And he's done a similar thing. He's got loads of pictures in his loft. He's got the cricket. He's got a stadium. He's got like a Hackney Marshes type ground up there. And it looks pucker. And I thought, oh, I wanted to do similar to what I had in my massive flat where I had it set up but not as condensed. And I thought, I'll just do this one. They'll do the training ground next to it. And just unpacking that running track made me think, I can't. And I still think to myself, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll just take it down and I'll make a smaller stadium. Then I think I spent so much money on grandstands. <laughs> I need to justify the price to myself now. There's a brilliant video, I think that's just gone up recently, where you're wearing a hat. It looks like it's late at night. You're in the middle of this stadium, <laughs> just completely absorbed hat. in your work. And I love that hat. I'm watching that video and I'm thinking, this man is focused. If it's the last thing he does, this stadium is getting built. Do you know what? The reason I probably look so focused is I struggle to get up in the loft, to have time with work, family and kids. And I know when I go up there, it's going to be an hour at least. To get that hour to myself is hard work. And the wife went out, she took the kids with her, and I knew I had a window. <laughs> I could get this stuff done. And that's probably why I look so determined and so focused, because I had time. And I think she went out for two and a half hours. And that video was only about 15 minutes long that I put up on YouTube. But I actually recorded two hours of me up there. <laughs> Hence the time-lapse footage. That leads us to the final listener question. I've saved this one until last, because... Knowing that we were going to talk about your new stadium, uh, this one is from Michael. I think your stadium videos point towards the answers. Uh, Michael asks, when it comes to the stands, have Sabucho attempted to make bowl-shaped stands or are they too inhibiting on the players to manoeuvre around? It looks like you've got the kind of bowl-shaped stadia. Yeah, so they do. I mean, they, it, with the original sets, they made the corner terracing, which sort of went round. So that went round, but Sabutio didn't make a grandstand that went round in the corner. They just did the terrace, whereas Zuego, their stand, has got an actual corner on it. So it does go round in a bowl. So if you wanted to, you could have a full round stadium. The only thing they don't do is a circular stadium, like the sort of South American circular style. Yeah. That's the one thing they didn't make. Sabutio made the terrace in for the corner, but they didn't make an actual grandstand for it. But you could have it going right round the pitch. Lastly, you've moved twice since you began your collection. How do you move the stadiums? They all had to go down in a box. It was quite fun, actually. I actually got a bit of time to spend with my Sabutio. Literally, every stadium went down, got packed away in a box, within its box, in the box, and then the box would get labelled. The spreadsheet that I used to catalogue would have the location of everything, so I knew exactly where everything was. Oh, I'll tell you the first time we moved, getting out of the first loft and chucking it down to me, mate, to get in the back of the van. That was hilarious. <laughs> it was so much. It was like, how much have you got up there? <laughs> but yeah, I know it gets worse. Then we had to get the vinyl down from the loft as well, and that was even heavier. Yes, it's meticulous, but I enjoy that moving part because I can actually spend some time with my Sabutio. It's hard. And during the last move, I did lose one piece. One piece just went poof. It was a bit of the old red fencing. I lost the half-time scoreboard. I know it's going to turn up somewhere. Is that the one with the alphabet? That's it. So it has A, B, C, and then you have the scores underneath. But it was in the red. I know it's going to be around somewhere. It's probably inside a box within a box within a box. And I've just not got it. Everything's been unpacked. And it's still on my spreadsheet that like I used to catalogue everything. Next to it still has missing from mood. <laughs> one day it will turn. And one day it will turn up and I'll be buzzing. I'll be so happy. I'll probably do a video about it. <laughs> Okay, Stuart, tell us where everyone can find you. Okay, so you can head over to my website, www.sabutocollector.com. On there, you'll get all links to the YouTube channel. You'll be able to see pictures of my collection as it grows as well, along with 
everything else that goes on, this will go on there. Any other features I've been on will go on there. Or you can head straight over to YouTube and just search Subutio Collector or head over to Twitter, search Subutio Collect. And I am there talking about Subutio all the time. When is the next Ubutio and Netflix episodes? When are they out? Next video is going out. I can't remember when I've scheduled it for. So my next video is going out either tomorrow or Thursday. That is, what am I talking about on that one? On I completely forgot what I'm talking about on that one. What am I talking about? I've even forgotten what it's about. That's awful. It's either about, that's bad, isn't it? I've actually forgotten <laughs> what my new video is about. So I've got a video coming out, which is about Zuego teams and a little bit of history of Zuego. And then the other video, I've completely forgotten what it's about. You're going to have to tune in to find out because even I can't remember. I've moved on to thinking about my next idea already. My next video, which I'm going to do after them two, is I'm going to do a video, 101 Facts About Subutio. I started doing it the other night and then realised I bit off a little bit more than I can chew. That does sound <laughs> extensive. Yeah, you know when you do say, that'd be all right, and then I'm like, oh no. So I'm working on that every night to try and get the facts out for that. So that'll be out in the new year. Hopefully first or second week in the new year, we'll have the new Netflix Subutio show out. We'll be talking about one of the best Subutio things, I'm sure. We've done goals, we've done balls, we've done pitches, we've done teams. We must be up to talking about accessories soon. So we'll probably be talking about something like that in the new year, putting this set together that we're then going to sell off a charity. So lots coming up, loads of ideas. I'm rattling my way through so I can get to one my 100th show because that'll be fun because I'm going to sit back and watch myself and laugh at myself. So that'll be good fun. Stuart, appreciate your time. I wish uh, a safe and happy new year to you and your family. Yeah, to you as well, buddy. To you as well. Stay Much safe. appreciate it. You too. I hope you enjoyed that. I'd been keen to do something with Stuart for some time. Honestly, the Ubuccio video a week before Christmas where he's up in his loft. He's sat in the middle of this giant stadium that's clearly run into some trouble, at least with the huge athletics track anyway. It's such a good watch. If you're one of them people whose passion for something strays towards the obsessive, and I count myself among those, you will recognise a bit of yourself in Stuart in that video. I'll have all his links in the show notes. Subscribe to his channel if you're unfamiliar with his Ubuccio shows. You won't regret it. And also the Netflix Ubuccio show, which is outstanding. Appearing alongside Stuart on that Netflix Ubuccio show, there's Westwood Table Soccer, Watsi Ubuccio Art and Ubuccio Online. That coming together of this illustrious quartet reminds me of a cartoon from my childhood, Super Friends, which featured a bunch of DC comic heroes working together. There was Batman, there was Superman, Robin, Wonder Woman, Aquaman and one or two others. I'll leave it to the Netflix gang to fight it out amongst themselves as to who is what superhero in their table football lineup. All those guys are turning out incredible work in that community and as part of an older generation of Sabucho lovers, I find it reassuring to know that world is in such good hands. Those guys and more like them are bringing that whole community together, old and young generation. Do please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you download it from and share and retweet, repost, etc. social media links. I'm particularly keen, if you enjoy the show, on getting reviews on Apple Podcasts, which does remain the all-important measure of how well a podcast is doing. Sadly, 
that is still the case. So reviews on there on Apple Podcasts would be most welcome. The show can be followed on both Twitter and Instagram at Shorts Were Short and Facebook.com forward slash Shorts Were Short. If you want to join the group page, please do. Thank you for your time. The artwork is by Tom Hadfield. The music is 80s synth pop by Toto Cyberspace. I've been Daniel Ruiz Tyson. This has been the When Shorts Were Short New Year special. If the shorts weren't short, we don't talk about it. I wish you all a safe and better New Year. Mm-hmm.